It's the Ringer NFL Show. Robert Mays here with Kevin Clark. Thanks to Gamefly for sponsoring today's episode. Gamefly is a great sponsor. It's also the best way to buy and rent your favorite video games. Yep, and the best part about Gamefly.com is your favorite games are mailed directly to your door. You don't even have to leave the house. Who wants to leave the house? No one. Absolutely not. Go to Gamefly.com slash Ringer and start your free premium 30-day trial today. The premium trial allows you to check out two games and or movies at a time. You can only get this offer by visiting Gamefly.com slash Ringer. So sign up and start playing all your favorite games absolutely free for 30 days. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Robert Mays, joined as always by Kevin Clark. Kevin, week 11 is in the books, and we had a fun Monday night game. I think that... The best proof yet that we're living in a computer simulation is that the Seahawks didn't do Seahawks things at the end of that game. Yeah. Like, isn't every every version of that game for the past five years has been Russell Wilson hitting Doug Baldwin with 11 seconds left for a touchdown? Blair Walsh being on the other team and missing the field goal that would change the game? Yes. There's a million ways that happens, but it's never the Seahawks just quietly lose the game. It just feels like this isn't the Seahawks anymore. No, nope. I mean it's, it's a, the skeleton of the Seahawks. They just happen to be wearing the same jerseys. I mean, by the end of that game, the fact that Shaquille Griffin got all, also got hurt right at the beginning of that game was just like, really? Like this is what's going to happen now? I mean, it's Justin Coleman and Byron Maxwell. I mean, at a certain point, just because they, they're playing in that stadium and Pete Carroll is chewing gum on the sideline, they're no longer the Seahawks, and I think that's part of the problem as we kind of survey the NFC wildcard race here. I wrote a story on the ringer.com on Tuesday about how the sort of vicious coaching carousel was watering down the quality of coaches in the league. And I sort of offhandedly mentioned that Pete Carroll is a good coach. And now I have Pete Carroll truthers coming after me saying that he's how on what planet is Pete Carroll a good coach? Guys, he's a good coach. Yeah, I mean, the fake field goal is kind of hard to defend. No, I know, I know. But I'm just saying, let's not let no, one I, Monday me. night game... And when you have lost half the Legion of Boom, determine whether or not Pete Carroll is a good coach. I mean, half plus one of your other starting corners just because he wasn't an original member. Is the Legion of Boom like the Avengers or like one of those other superhero yeah. teams where like as people die off, the new people like the, come it's in? It's like the Four Horsemen wrestling. Yes, it was just canon. Like we have a canon Legion of Boom and then we have the new style Legion of Boom. How does that work? I'm not really a comic book guy, so I don't really know how the ins and outs well, We're going to go. have Danny Kelly on later to talk about that. All right, well, we'll chat about um, that. But so one, 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 one amazing stat I saw. So there are five NFC teams that are either six and four or five and five. Okay. Uh, all, all very mediocre teams. The Falcons have beaten all of them. That's huge. And they're four and one in the NFC, I believe, or five yeah. and one. Well, they, so the yeah. fact that they have, because interconference record or intra conference record is the next tiebreaker after head to heads when you're fighting for a wild card spot, right? Which is huge. So the Falcons are definitely in the driver's seat of this. And beyond that, just outside of positioning, I like the way they looked last night. I mean, I think the offense is getting, finding its footing a little bit. I, I'm enjoying kind of them rehashing Kyle Shanahan, just schematic stuff. I mean, that touchdown, the throw, the tight end throwback is something we saw from the Falcons all the time. It just seems like they're getting there a little bit. I still feel like, and again, Seattle's maybe not the best measure of this, but 
the offensive line just hasn't been as good as it was last year in terms of pass protection. No. And the Seahawks pushed him around a little bit yesterday, and Ryan looked a little skittish at times. So I think that there are elements that I'm still worried about, but I still feel like with the positioning and with how they look on the field, it's starting to kind of start rolling for the Falcons, where you're like, okay, maybe they are that second NFC wildcard team after Carolina. So Adrian Claiborne played well again last yeah. night. He had six pressures. I think that... Dwayne I'm, Brown didn't look right. No, I mean... There were a couple plays he where might, he like, might, what is he doing? He might still be a little banged up. Yeah, I mean, there, it's the one where Claiborne just dips into the backfield instantly. It's just like, where, what are you doing, Dwayne Brown? Why are you stepping so to e- your right? Either just, Adrian Claiborne is good or he's the luckiest person on the planet. And no, he was really no, good. No, no, I'm Dallas just saying, game. I'm just saying now it's, it's, it's two, it's two linemen who either have been completely incompetent or have, have maybe be a step slow. So I, I, I think that, you know, I think sometimes pass rushing, uh, it's a little bit all about confidence in, in some ways. And so I think that he's just, I think if they can get contributions from Claiborne, I think that, that changes things just a little bit. Yeah. I mean, when I, they signed him, I was excited about him because I thought that he'd play that Michael Bennett role where you play outside on rundowns, inside on passing downs. And he hasn't really done that. I mean, his all his damage that he's done recently is as a right defensive end, which is like, that's not what Adrian Claiborne does. No. So it's been kind of funny. I mean, I two years later, it's like the Adrian Claiborne signing is coming around, but not in the way that I thought. So I'm taking zero credit for it. I wasn't going to let you take credit for it anyway, no matter just what like it was. Just like happy about it. I mean, I've, I've always liked him as just like a player, but yeah. I, he's been good in a different way than I thought he was going to be good. I mean, I just thought he was kind of miscast as an outside pass rusher in Tampa Bay scheme, and it just doesn't seem like he is. That's what he's doing well now, which is kind of funny. I like so, I liked also like Desmond Trufant. His hands are so bad that he almost dropped that interception. <laughs> That's why he plays corner, man. Isn't that the thing? No, but he All got right. it. He got it. That's the key is to get so Kinda much like Alvin space. Alvin Kamara's touchdown is like yeah. almost blew it. You get so much space that you can just bobble it up in the air and, and bat it to yourself like a, like a self-alley-oop. All right. Lots to get to today. Short week. Big, some big games on Thanksgiving, which we'll get to later in this week, obviously. Danny Kelly is going to join us to explain what the hell is happening with the Chiefs. Plus... I can't imagine what sort of energy he's going to have today. Chris Ryan is going to join us. Eagles super fan in the ringer zone. Chris Ryan will be here. And uh, I mean, I assume he just has, he already has his Minneapolis hotel room down. I can't wait. I can't wait to share that week with him. All right. First, we're going to start with our four downs, our four biggest stories from the weekend. And we'll start with the Eagles just thrashing Dallas. As Wentz gets the shotgun snap. Went sets, throws over the middle, lunging for it is Alshon Jeffrey, who pulls it in in the middle of the end zone on his hip for the touchdown. Alshon Jeffrey somehow diving to his left, finds the football in the air, juggles it, but pulls it in, and the Eagles take a 29-9 lead. What a catch by Alshon Jeffrey for the score. It kind of hurts my soul because Alshon Jeffrey made a catch like that during his last season in South Carolina where I was like, that's my dude. I love him. And now I have to watch him do that for the Eagles as the Bears have absolutely no receivers. But first down. You can't be watching the contenders of the NFL through the context of the Bears, right? No, just some players. Just like I loved Alshon Jeffrey. I was very glad the Bears drafted him. It did not go that well post like one season because he's hurt all the time. It's nice that he's succeeding and he's making a case. I mean, that team is making a case. The one he's now on that. They're not just the best team in the division. They're the best team in the league as they crush the Cowboys. I mean, I think that at this point they have that title and in a crazy way, they're getting better. Yep. Because not only are they kind of rolling just with the players they have, they're adding players. Yep. Ronald Darby coming back on Sunday 
and making, first of all, he had an interception, that play against Dez, who's everywhere, and then them getting Ajayi just for nothing. And I know that, you know, Blount is still out snapping him and out carrying him, whatever. The game dictated that a little bit because Blount got a lot of carries late, but we need more Ajayi. He has another 71 yard run. It's like, why isn't this guy in the game more? I assume that will happen. So the fact that there's a better version of this team on the horizon, I mean, what the hell? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I just think when you look at this Eagles team, they are getting contributions from, I mean, just multiple waves of guys. Patrick Robinson is a good example of someone. His, the secondary was awesome on Sunday. His catch rate is 54% right now. I mean, he's just playing. He's playing at such a high level. I think Patrick Robinson was the highest graded PFF player on on the field um, on Sunday night. And it's just... seven seven hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars this year. Yeah. And that's it. And what what... What have I been talking about for two years on this podcast? How do you win in this league? You have a good quarterback, you have a good coach, and you have a bunch of good contracts. If you have Patrick Robinson basically on a under-rookie contract value, that's that's how you win. I mean, yeah, he signed for nothing. They right. signed him off the scrap heap because right. he has been an afterthought at his first three stops. This is his fourth team. I, I mean, the fact I that they're getting was, that guy to play at this level is insane. I thought he was bad in college. I mean, I I have no opinion. I know he was a first round pick, but it's just like it's funny that the Saints now like have an awesome corner and the guy they drafted in the first round is just yeah. destroying things in Philadelphia. And Jalen Mills played great on on Sunday night. Right. Just the overall production and the fact that that team has been over, able to overcome losing Jordan Hicks and they've done it in a few different ways. I mean, the fact that Malcolm Jenkins has played more linebacker or whatever, they just have not even hesitated. It hasn't even been a speed bump. The guys they've lost. And now they're getting players back. And Derek Barnett. That's yeah. another one where it's just like, okay, now Derek Barnett is playing a little bit more. And I feel like, you know, Vinny Curry is in on their base downs at that right defensive end. Barnett comes in a nickel, but like, that's what they want. They want Barnett and then Brandon Graham or whatever else. I was looking it up today. No member of their defensive line has played more than 70% of the snaps. And that's just exactly how you make this happen down the stretch run. You yep. keep guys fresh. I mean, you just watch them play and everyone looks like they're getting shot out of a cannon on every single play. And that energy is just kind of going through the entire defense. They look excellent right now. I, I don't know what else there is to say. I mean, I suppose I suppose you could make the argument that the Vikings are are sort of half a step behind them. But if I were to guess right now, I don't I don't really see anybody beating this team in the playoffs. Yeah, I still think the Saints have that just they can, they have it. I mean, the Saints have that game yeah. in them where they can absolutely beat the Eagles, but Philadelphia just looks so good right now. Wentz played well again in stretches. You know, that first drive was excellent. Then he had that middle part of the game where he did not play very well, just kind of missing throws, just all over the place. And then late, he played fine. It was more of those escapability plays that he has. That's what's most impressive about him at times is his ability to just kind of exist outside of the offense and make things happen on his own. That combined with the third down and the red zone stuff, he just looks really good. And the other thing that was funny about that game is that I was kind of worried they'd run out of two-point plays because you only come into a game with like five or six of them, yeah. and they had to run them every time. But just how flawlessly they execute those, two-point plays are 98% coaching. Yeah. And the fact that they look so good doing them is just not surprising whatsoever when you think about how in-step this entire team is. Did you know I saw this number, I number fire put it out. Carson Wentz is just outside the top 10 all time and touchdown rate already. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, he's come back to earth seven, a little bit, probably. I, seven point eight percent 
of his throws go for yeah, a touchdown. Kind of nuts. I mean, although to be so, it's a lot of all-time greats on that list, except except one not all-time great. Would you like to guess who it is? I have no idea. It's Nick Foles. During that one season in Philadelphia, but during that one game against Oakland. Yeah, I know. I mean, that, that year was. We'll he was the re- he was the reverse Nathan Peterman. <laughs> Which we will absolutely He just had an insane to. statistical anomaly that just changed his career. Nick Foles' touchdown percentage all time is 8.6%. I love it. Yeah, I mean, God, Nick Foles. Who's not their e- backup quarterback? Yeah, yeah, which is not even, when's, when's retire? You're not even, you don't have the best touchdown rate on your team. Yeah. Uh, and then again, the, the running game is just so well designed. You saw that again on Sunday. Really good job of understanding the defensive personnel for Dallas, letting David Irving get up the field, tons of traps, tons of pulling. I mean, yeah. They are just, it's kind of like one of those, those New England seasons where you just see the wrinkles every week yeah. and how they change things up based on who they're playing. And they're just so in tune with their own personnel. And when you can marry scheme and talent together mm-hmm. in this flawless of a way, I mean, you become really scary. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have some information for you. Doug Peterson is a good coach. Yeah, he is. Let's talk about Dallas very briefly before we move on here. I wrote about the Cowboys, my Monday recap. That was mm-hmm. the lead. And the thought here is that, yes, because the rest of the NFC is kind of in disarray and you don't really know what those mid-tier teams are going to be in the wild card hunt, Dallas is still kind of in it. But I'm starting to get a little concerned. And, and I think for a couple different reasons. One, we've talked about this. Tyron Smith is the bigger loss yep. than Ezekiel Elliott. You saw that again on Sunday. They were able to make up for it with just design more than they did or, against and, Atlanta. And Byron Bell not being the worst player in the history yes, of football. But Derek Barnett still kind of roasted him yeah. most of the time. One of those sacks, he was unblocked, but the other one, the strip sack that kind of sealed the game, that was all Derek Barnett just being quicker than Byron Bell, beating him to the edge. And he was in the backfield a lot in that game. So if that's going to be just your baseline level of left tackle play until Tyron Smith gets back, that's problematic. So the fact that you have that, and we wrote about this, and I know I did a lot before the season, in the idea that if Ezekiel Elliott was going to miss six games, that Dak was going to have to kind of raise his level of play. And he's been really good for stretches of the season and been very impressive. He was not on Sunday. And that's just one of those things where if Dak Prescott has that game without Elliott on the field and Tyron Smith, there's no way the Cowboys can win. There are are times where he could have had that game last season, maybe even this year when everything else was rolling. But the infrastructure around him has crumbled to such a degree that he can't afford to be anything less than excellent. And we knew that coming into the year, and that's going to be the challenge for Dallas for the rest of the year. How good can Dak Prescott be? Because if he's not at that level, they have no chance. So, first of all, Tyron Smith might play on Thanksgiving. That's important, but he's still hurt. <laughs> no, I understand that, but I mean, so... He's going to be hurt. The eight games with Tyron Smith, Dak was t- sacked eight times. The two games without him, he's been sacked 12 times. I mean, that's all you need to know. Yeah, That's it. That, that, he was that's, 17 times, I believe, overall. I mean, that's just too many. And I, by the way, hits hits are very important because you know that those things add up. What's also about internal clock? When you watched yeah. him in no, that yeah. game, he was so sped up in the pocket. He yep. was airmailing throws. He just doesn't. Yep. There was that one on the left sideline. I think it was to Cole Beasley or Dez, where it was just like four feet over his head. I was like, Tech Prescott doesn't do that. No, he doesn't. And so, I mean, I just think that. The Cowboys is currently they just they just got to get Tyron Smith back and then I'll make a decision from there. But I mean Tyron Smith, here's the problem. Tyron Smith is one of the he. I mean I would say he's probably the best player in the Cowboys, right? 
Well, because he's a tackle, we don't think about it. And so we're not, you know, I, I just think it's unfair to Dak to say. That's a really good question, actually. <laughs> it's, I think I it's think unfair that, to Dak to say what is life without, you know, why can't he be good without Tyron Smith? Because at, at present, Tyron Smith is the Cowboys. And we're also talking, I mean, we, regression just for your offense in general usually comes. And that's kind of what I wrote about yesterday. But it's also regression with injury luck. Yeah. The Cowboys have been so fortunate over the last few seasons. They only missed Tyron Smith, I believe, for two games last year. And those yeah. are the first two games. So to miss him for in the middle of the season like this and to have him be kind of at 80, 75 percent the entire year is not something they've had to deal with. So now you have this team that was so lucky in so many ways last year. And now it's falling back to earth and you're seeing what the repercussions of that are. Yeah. I mean, that's, so. that's it. I mean, that that's, I still believe that Dak Prescott is a good quarterback. I just I think that, you know, I was on the, I was on the, a Slate podcast yesterday and Josh Levin was asking me about who was better, Dak or, or Carson Wentz. And, and I got into, because I mean, look, they, last year Dak looked better and this year Wentz looks better. And, and who's going to look better in the future? My guess would be probably Wentz. But I, I, I'm not totally sure. I think that we're getting into, I think the golden generation of quarterbacks, and we talk about this all the time, Breeze, Brady, Manning, they looked so good independent of their surroundings that we think that everybody should be able to do that. And I think that this generation of quarterbacks is going to be a little more dependent on their surroundings. Look what happened with, when Carson Wentz didn't have Lane Johnson last year. Look what happened when he had the worst, you know, one of the three worst receiving cores in the league. And now now he and Dak, who Dak was put in the best situation for rookie quarterback in history, maybe save for Ben Roethlisberger. And now they seem to have switched places. And so it's hard for me to to, to evaluate anybody in a va- any quarterback in a vacuum right now because this generation is just going to be a little more dependent on on their supporting cast. Absolutely. All right, let's get to second down here. Talk about the rest of the NFC playoff picture. Eagles at the top, obviously Vikings and Saints right behind them. And then Minnesota just had a really impressive win over the Rams. And yep. Drew Brees, vintage Drew Brees in those final two drives against Washington, which, you know, God, he was good in so many throws. I mean, I think those two games are linked in a certain way. And the fact that this Vikings, we've talked about their offense so much and how they're putting up points and Adam Thielen and that stuff is fun. And the Case Keenum intrigue is definitely there. Yeah. But this is a team built on defense and that's how they won that game. And that's how they're going to be dangerous in the playoffs. Drew Brees is Drew Brees. When your breaking case for emergency plan is Drew fucking Brees, you're in a yep. good spot. So as you saw kind of these true to form Vikings and Saints along with these other kind of secondary elements that have surprised us, which of those two wins on Sunday was more impressive to you? And which plan do you kind of feel most safe about moving forward here? So I have to say it would be the Saints because, A, it was just a, a just a kooky game. I mean, it was just, it was one of those games I turned it off with, you know, midway through the fourth quarter and didn't really give it another thought until it was 31 to 23 and all of a sudden the Saints are driving. Um, having said that, obviously the Vikings beat a very good Rams team, but we saw, and one of the things that I've worried about, even though we know new Drew Brees was still Drew Brees, one of the things we worried about was exactly what you said, which is, is he vintage Drew Brees? Is he going to be able to just, you know, even though, um, you have the defense, you have Kamara and you have Ingram and you have all these supporting pieces and Brees is throwing the ball less, is Brees going to be able to just be 2009 Brees and the yes. answer is yes <laughs> it was a yeah, throwback yes. I mean it was it's almost like it's almost like Shaq on the heat where it's like okay he's got all he's got other players around him he's got Dwayne Wade but like in the playoffs when he needs to he's just gonna put up 40 and 15 for no reason he's like oh by the way I'm Shaq yeah that's a good one like Kevin Garnett in 2012 was like yeah. that 
where he was just like the best player on the court, even yeah. though everyone was obsessed but, with Rondo. Right, and, and you wouldn't really, he wouldn't really make his presence known unless he really needed to. Yeah. That, that's a good like, comparison. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, by the way, I'm insanely good at this sport. Breeze, there's so many throws in that drive. I mean, the fact that the one to um, Fleener up the seam and then the one to Josh Hill back to back. I mean, those throws are just like perfect. Like that's Drew Brees. The ability to fit that ball in up the seam like he always has and then pump fake to the flat and then come back to Hill. Just like that's Drew Brees. That's exactly what he is in the red zone. It's what he is when you need to drive. He was fantastic. Uh, Now we see injuries kind of creeping in for that team too, though. I mean, Alex Ogafor being out for the season hurts them. You know, their defense was... It's kind of, again, they formed this defense. They found this defense because they made great trap picks, but also got lucky. Similar to what happened with Patrick Robinson, you know, you find these guys off the scrap heap that become really good contributors. And when you start losing those, you see the, you see the impact. I mean, there's no doubt about that. This weekend was big. You know, the Rams have the sixth hardest schedule from now on. The Vikings have the fifth hardest schedule. And so assuming that both those teams don't keep their first half pace, I think that I mean, having having a one-game lead on the bye or in a division right now is extremely important. And so all, all pretty much all of the NFC contenders have really hard schedules coming up. I mean, I think that... Atlanta you know, has the hardest. Yeah, Atlanta's If you want to consider Atlanta a contender, obviously. And I think that they're in the they're in the hunt. I mean, they're in the playoff hunt. Yeah. I think right now they're in the best spot. I know, no, no, no. I, obviously, as, as I said earlier, you know, they've beaten all of the teams that are 6-4 and four and 5-5. Five and five. I'm just... We're, I'm not putting them in the, the bye conversation. Here's what I'll say. Nobody in the NFC wants Atlanta to sneak in as a wild card. No, no one wants to play no. that team. And I would have said the same thing about a healthy Seattle team. But again, we're not going to see that for the rest of the year. Right. All right. Let's flip over to the AFC on third down here. As the Patriots and Steelers just kind of rolled this weekend, it took 11 weeks, but the AFC is where we thought it was going to be. Yep. <laughs> I mean, the Steelers and the Patriots are the best. We'll get to the Chiefs and their fall from grace a little bit later. But let's just chat about New England and Pittsburgh very briefly. That new, that Steelers game, and we talked about it on Friday, and then what the Patriots did. It, does it just seem like we're headed to the same thing we all, we're always heading for? I mean, the, the Broncos are in it in that conversation often, but with them, very far out of it. It's the Patriots and the Steelers and everybody else. Isn't that what it seems like? Yeah, it's definitely not the Broncos. <laughs> that's my that's my analysis. Of Thanks, this. buddy. Uh, ben Roethlisberger look great. What's going on there? I, I was writing about it on Monday. I wrote about it in my recap, just the idea that home field advantage is more important to the Steelers than it is for a lot of teams. So we have this kind of looming week 15 game between these two that may determine who gets home field. And the Steelers this year, Ben Roethlisberger's splits haven't been much different because he's just been meh all over the place. Yeah. But for the last two years, if you look at his numbers at home and on the road, it's crazy. So our, our Joel Solomon has a theory about the week 15 game that's looming that Belichick maybe throws that game because he doesn't want the Steelers to know what their game plan is. That's a terrible idea because if the Steelers play at home, they become like 17% more dangerous. No, I know, but that that's it. That That's the chess match. You'd rather play in Pittsburgh against that offense than win the game and play at home? I don't know. Belichick. <laughs> nah. Belichick's up to something. I, I don't think he's up to that. Hey, did, you see, that did you see the thing that he said about Mexico City? Yes. Just so the listener knows, he said, uh, he basically said, we're glad there were no earthquakes or volcanoes. Jesus. Nice job, Bill. You're the, you're the best. Well, well, right. well, we're, like, that's not all that common down there. What, what does he think it is? I mean, is it Mordor? Like, what the, what the I, hell does he I, care about? I, <sighs> I was a strange take. 
Yeah, I mean, Belichick has a lot of strange takes. I think if you ask yeah, him about, some, for instance, if, if like, we got him on some stuff, I think that he would say a lot of weird shit. <laughs> uh, so, just you know, kind of outside of that top tier, it kind of feels like the Jags might be the third team in the AFC. I mean, that is a bizarre world to be living in. The Jags did not look particularly impressive on Sunday against the Cleveland Browns. Their offense is going to look like that a lot, though. The defense is just winning games for them, which. I know that their offense is going to hold them back, but at the same time, it just feels like, again, you wouldn't want to play that defense in a meaningful game. They could score two touchdowns and just like completely swing everything with a series of like big plays. That's always looming for them. So let me ask you a question. Are the Patriots scared of the Chiefs? No, I don't think so. Are you? I mean, I just keeping like in those, mind that the, those two teams they, are so different than they were in Week One. I mean, the fact that this Patriots corners and their secondary in general are actually playing football now kind of changes the game. Yeah, I could see that. I I, I think that the Chiefs are still the the third best team. Interesting. I, I could. I mean, that's fine. I, I could definitely see that argument. I just feel like I just with the th- way the Jags are playing defense. Again, the Jags have gotten better on defense. Right. The Darius trade has really made a difference. I mean, they're rushing defense numbers with and without him are incredible. I mean, it's just like one of those other really nice trades that a team made at the deadline that's going to make a difference as we move forward here. I can't believe that Alex Smith's deep passing was unsustainable. I can't. We had 12 years of evidence that he wasn't a deep passer, and then he has four good games, and, and then it disappears very quickly. Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, all right, moving on to uh, fourth down here. The wild card scenario... Kind of ridiculous in the AFC, to be honest. You have the Ravens just rolling in Green Bay. Out of the shotgun is Flacco. Throws to the left. Lofts it toward the end zone. And a one-handed grab. And it's caught. Touchdown, Ravens. Mike Wallace, what a grab. 21 yards, and it's the first touchdown of the day. So Baltimore is now 5-5. Five and five, And they are the second wildcard team in the Great. AFC. <laughs> I how ashamed should the Raiders be of themselves? The fact that this is where we are now. I mean, just it's unbelievable that these teams are still in the hunt. Cleveland is still mathematically alive in the playoff race in the AFC. That is embarrassing. I remember an old joke about college football in the Bob Stoops era that when when Oklahoma was number one in the polls, that means the season hadn't started yet. Like it was just like that was that was the baseline. Like, oh, we'll just put Oklahoma number one and then we'll figure out when the season really starts. If the Ravens are still in the AFC wildcard hunt, then the season hasn't started yet. That's that's my that's my view of this. It's like they are as average as I mean Joe Flacco. That contract's actually worse than I thought. Their offense is impressively bad. I mean, even in that game, watching them, their offense is impressively bad. The fact that they just kind of found Alex Collins has been such a huge thing for them. I wrote it on Monday. He's 11th in the league in average yards per effort, yards after contact per carry. He's just a guy who can manufacture offense for you, and that's exactly what they need because they have zero passing game and zero offensive line. So the best thing they can hope for is that Alex Collins rushes the ball like 22 times for 68 yards, and their defense makes two huge plays. Baltimore is not a good football team, and, and that speaks to where we are with the AFC as a conference. Joe Flacco, I'll get to the AFC as a conference in a second. Joe Flacco, $53 million in dead money this year. Obviously, that's, that's a non-starter. Next year, dead cap, $28 million. 
And then in 2019, when I mean, I don't even know if Earth is going to be round in 2019, but he has $16 million in dead cap. The potential out, even though $16 million, especially in the context of the 2019 salary cap, isn't, isn't a backbreaker, the $8 million dead cap, which is when it becomes pretty in- inconsequential, is in 2020. We might it's- go the entire Trump presidency with Joe Flacco as the starter in Baltimore, even though he's one of the worst quarterbacks in now. The completion percentage is much better, but if you look at his numbers compared to Jared Goff's last year, they're pretty much the same. He's thrown two more interceptions than touchdowns. He's averaging 5.4 yards per attempt and 4.4 adjusted yards per attempt. Are you suggesting they hire Sean McVay? I'm just saying that like, that's how bad Joe Flacco has been this year, is that he is almost indistinguishable from the quarterback Jared Goff was last year, statistically. So I just want to point out, because I don't think we've thought about it enough, I think we've moved on too quickly. The Buffalo Bills That's were, where I was were going. in one of the playoff spots heading into Sunday, and they benched their quarterback and started a fifth-round rookie who then promptly threw five interceptions and a half. This is the funniest story of the last five years. I I just can't even comprehend any of it. Like, okay... I wrote this again. Uh, this is part of my recap and I, I'm just rehashing all that just stuff. Do it. That's how this podcast works. <laughs> I, you have, you can't be saying one thing and doing another. Just have a plan. If your plan is, is the, is the thing you're saying is we want to win games. The thing you're doing is starting Nathan Peterman. Yes. It, it, you can't say we want to win games if you're starting Nathan Peterman. And you can't say we don't care about winning now. If you trade two draft picks for Kelvin Benjamin, who has $8 million on his contract next year, you also can't. Bench your quarterback because he's not throwing to open guys and then trade two picks for a guy who's never open. It just everything they're doing is in contrast to what they're saying. And it's it's so baffling to watch. Peterman was so bad on Sunday. And I know the first pick, not his fault. The second four, pretty much his fault. Like the last four that, that, that most of those are on him. He probably could have thrown another one, too. I mean, it is unbelievable. And the fact that. Yeah, he looks really bad because there's a lot of pass pressure, right? So many interceptions Tyrod Taylor has thrown when under pressure this season? Zero. Yeah. Uh, He's the fifth or sixth most pressured quarterback in the league. So, yeah, we didn't know the Bills' offensive line was this bad because Tyrod Taylor is the quarterback to combat that issue. So, it's interesting to me. There were a lot of people who were like, did you watch the interceptions? It w- they weren't his fault. I went back and watched when every single one. When you throw five interceptions... I'm going to go ahead and guess you had a poor performance. This isn't this isn't one of those tape study, watch the film. They weren't his fault. It was five interceptions. It reminded me of the Germany-Brazil World Cup game where I think Germany had six goals in the first half against Brazil. And, and it just, the thing, every time, after every one, you're like, well, that's it. There's, I mean, this is professional sports. There can't be another one of those. And then there just was. <laughs> It's so true. That is how it felt. What was that game? I think it was the 2012 World Cup. It was, where it was just like, it was 2014, excuse me. I can't remember. I remember exactly the game you're talking about. Yeah, they just kept scoring. Like yeah. on every, every time they kicked the ball, they kept scoring. And that was Nathan Peterman. And I, Bosa and Ingram were great. I'll get to that, actually. But it, there, most of those interceptions, he certainly had a hand in them. And everything the Bills have done over the last week is pretty much unacceptable. I mean, it is borderline football malpractice. There's nothing you can do to explain it away. All right, there's no line. One is an example. Two is a coincidence. Three is a tr- trend. 
five interceptions is beyond that. So and they I, might play him again. I don't. Do I don't it. think. I don't think you can say anything other than he was an absolute train wreck. And again, I don't want. I don't want us to gloss over this because I think the news cycle moves too fast now. Like Charles Manson died, nobody cared. Like six hours later, because Trump entered into a feud with the Ball family. But I just feel like we need to talk about how funny this, how funny Nathan Peterman is. And you know what? If they play him again on Sunday, we're going to be able to keep talking about it, which is great. That'd be great. All right. Moving on. Kevin's craziest headline of the weekend. What stands out to you? This is very short. This is very short. Uh, I picked up the Los Angeles Times yesterday in huge letters in the middle of the sports section was just uh, starting Peterman was a mistake. Mm, yeah. Los Angeles I'm, Times, thank you. I'd say so. Appreciate that. No, it's that is the craziest headline. The fact that it even exists is the crazy part. That's it. That's all I got. All right. Let's stay on that game very briefly. My ringer okay. of the week is Joey Bosa. Yeah. And and I know that that's not really digging down, but it's I think the segment, the purpose of it is just to kind of find the hidden contributions. And even though Bosa finished that game with two sacks, including a strip sack, what he did in that game is far more impressive. He had a hand in four of the five Peterman interceptions, and you could probably say he had a hand in five. On the DeMarco one, he was the one I, I would argue Nathan Peterman had the ultimate hand in that every single correct. interception. Nathan, Nathan Peterman had two hands in them. Both yeah. Bosa had like a couple fingers. So on the on the DeMarco one, he was the one chasing him in the open field. Mm-hmm. On two of them, he actually hit him as he threw it. On the third one, he was in his face. And on the fourth one, him and Ingram kind of met at the quarterback. He absolutely dominated that game. And what is interesting about that is, one, it led to one of the worst quarterback performances we've ever seen. And two, the Chargers are legitimately in this. Yes. They are four and six. Yes. And they're in the division because they're only two games back and they play the Chiefs one more time. And the Chiefs are headed in the wrong direction. And the Chargers are definitely on the upswing. The Chargers don't need to win the division against a six and four team to get into the playoffs. They only have to jump the Ravens and the Bills at this point. Yeah. Every other team in the AFC is five and is, is, has four, six or worse. So the Titans have the first wild card spot right now. Yeah. The fact that this is where we are is just nuts. I mean, I like the Chargers. I picked them to make the playoffs. I think they're playing the best of any team in that division right now, but it's amazing that they could have the start they did and legitimately do this. It's unbelievable. I don't know what to say. I mean, I, I think that at what point does Los Angeles, if they have two playoff games in Los Angeles, uh, at what point does Los Angeles realize they have a team? That's a really good question. Is it when the Rams are playing the NFC Championship game? Yes, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that, that may not happen. The Chargers have to win the Super Bowl. And then like a month later, people will be like, what? So the Chargers, next six games, okay, at Cowboys, which... Joey Bosa could have six sacks in that game. Yeah, the Cowboys on Thanksgiving, Browns, Redskins, Chiefs, Jets, Raiders. Yeah. The games that are problematic on there are the Cowboys and the Chiefs. Every single, I mean, and Washington's a decent team, but that's a slate where they could 100% go four and two. And if they go four and two, they're sitting at eight, eight and they're sitting at eight and eight. And I, that could make the playoffs. Let me ask you a question. Just as far as the Chiefs go going forward, and I don't really know the answer to this question, but I've seen a lot of smart people talk about it. Patrick Mahomes or Alex Smith gives, gives them more wins going forward. If Smith. Mahomes is not ready. I agree. I agree. Based on everyone I've talked to there, Mahomes is not I ready. I agree. 
I mean, I just think we're we're seeing Alex Smith. That's it. And 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 the idea that Mahomes would come in and be better is a little bit uh, naive. I think at this point. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I, I feel like he is next year and beyond. I do not think that he would be a better quarterback for them at this moment in time. Yep. All right. Coming up, Danny Kelly will help break down those Chiefs who went from the best team in the league to dropping four of the last five. Chris Ryan will also be here to reflect on just an incredible season for Philadelphia. But first, let's take a quick break. Between planning for the holidays and balancing the rest of your life, sometimes feels like cheese and crackers is a totally acceptable dinner. It's not. I mean, for me, it often is, but it doesn't have to be if you get Sunbasket. They make it easy to stick to your healthy habits and cook delicious meals at home. Sunbasket is cool. You pick from 12 weekly recipes and they deliver organic and clean ingredients right to your door. Everything is pre-measured and easy to prep, so you get a healthy and delicious meal on the table in under 30 minutes. Guys, if I can do this, I promise you can do this. I have made very good food with this product. Yep, and you go to the Sunbasket app and pick from a delicious menu full of choices like gluten-free, leaning, clean, paleo, or vegetarian. Sunbasket works with the best organic farms and suppliers to bring you fresh, seasonal produce that is organic and non-GMO. This holiday season, skip the grocery store and the parking lot madness. Discover how easy it is to get healthy, clean meals on the table table with Sunbasket. Trust me, it is rainy and cold here all the time in Chicago. The fact that the food just comes to me, I'm a big fan. Go to sunbasket.com slash NFL today to learn more and get $35 off your first order. That's sunbasket.com slash NFL for $35 off sunbasket.com slash NFL. All right, now it's time to welcome in our good friend, Danny Kelly. Danny, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm pretty good. Uh, last night was a little bit depressing for a Seahawks fan, but I mean, because the Seahawks really—that's what I was referring to. Yes, should have won that game. I mean, they had a couple of weird coaching decisions, bad clock management. You know, obviously the missed field goal at the end there could have sent it to overtime. Uh, yeah, it was pretty brutal. Pretty brutal day. Do you feel like that it's kind of slipping away? A little bit, yeah. I was just uh, I was just talking to some friends about that, like. This is the first point in the season where I've been worried about making the playoffs. I'll put it that way. Because yeah. early on, I'm like, okay, they'll, I'm more worried about like what the you know what seed they're going to get. Now I'm like, okay, they're on the outside looking in. This is starting to get real kind of thing. The NFC is really tough. And the Seahawks' schedule down the stretch is extremely tough. Obviously, their injuries, I think, are having a major effect. And they need Russell Wilson to ball out. He he played pretty damn well at at you know at points. Obviously in the second half he was good, but you know two tough turnovers led to fourteen points. Uh, man, it, it's uh, there's like no margin for error at this point. It's strange to me. So last week I saw the statistic that Russell Wilson was was accounting for more of his team's yards than any player yeah. in in history, and I hadn't looked at it through that lens when watching the Seahawks. And I watched it last night, and it uh, it checks out. I think he's still he's still leading the team in rushing yards. Yeah. Uh, That's good. And it's like, man, Mike Davis came on. He's a practice squad guy. Uh, you know, he's kind of the Seahawks have liked him for a while, it seems like. And for whatever reason, he was on the practice squad all year. But then he looked pretty good. And, of course, he hurt his groin and, like, went out in the first half. So yeah, don't Seahawks- be a Seahawk right now. If you want just your body <laughs> to stay intact, that's not the thing to do. Freaking brutal. We will have a lot of Seahawks talk here over the next six weeks or so as they kind of try to finagle their way into the playoffs. But yeah. one team that is currently heading toward the playoffs but as a very different version of the one we saw over the course of the, over the beginning of the season is the Kansas City Chiefs. And they looked incredible over the first five weeks. Since then, dropped four of their last five and lost just – Kind of a disaster of a game to the Giants. Yeah. Danny, what have you seen from Kansas City 
that has really led to this current demise that they're headed toward? Well, it's crazy because I don't think it's just one thing, obviously. It never is really in the NFL. Um, Alex Smith had a really bad game last, you know, last week against the Giants. And uh, he, you know, just did not look like the MVP caliber player he did early in the year. You know, they're just, I wanted to ask your guys' opinion on this because it just feels to me like their offense has sort of gone in the wrong direction in terms of the creativity and everything. Obviously, you know, that's taking out the whole double pass thing with Travis Kelsey and, and the fact that they did throw an interception on a shovel pass, but it just doesn't feel like they're using quite as much pre-snap motion, doing kind of the, some of the things that help open up the run game. I, I looked at the numbers last night for Kareem Hunt, and he's still breaking tackles like crazy. I think he, he right now he's still first in elusive rating over the last six games, first in missed tackles force per PFF. Um, you know, he's still getting the ball a lot. He, he's, he's still the same guy, really. He, the one thing I, I've noticed that's different is right now, so over the first six games, he was averaging 2.8 yards before contact. And I think a lot of that had to do with some of the stuff they were doing with pre-snap motion. The offensive line was doing a really good job too, but I think it kind of like, it helps open up the gaps in the front. And then over the last six games, his uh, yards before contact is 0.9. So it's really, really fallen off. Um, They're just not opening up quite as many holes anymore. And so I think that, I think those things are related. Yeah, I totally agree. And I also just feel like they were able to kind of mask their deficiencies and injuries on the interior of the offensive line for a good chunk of the season. And they just haven't been able to do that over the last couple of weeks. I feel like those interior guys, you know, Morse is back now. He was hurt. Duvernay Tardif was hurt. And there's just been so much unrest in that area of their offense. I think it's really hurt them. And so the fact that they can't really lean on the running game to the degree they did at the beginning of the year. You know, it's kind of your second time through the league, you know, when you're getting in the second half and teams have watched you all year, any sort of kind of creativity and newness you brought to your offense coming into the season does not help as much anymore. You have to keep adapting and it just feels like they haven't been able to do that. And we've seen teams like the Eagles just grow where the Chiefs have kind of stagnated. And then you look at the defense, they have problems over there too. And that second cornerback spot is kind of a wasteland. Their safeties haven't played very well. So it just feels like there's a lot of stuff that's kind of coming together to, you know, make them in a lot of ways the team we thought they were going to be coming into the season. Minus Eric Berry. Which is not a good recipe. That's tough. I mean, yeah, I mean, you look at them early on in the season, their offense was hiding a lot of the issues they had on defense because Mm -hmm. they were not a good defensive team to start the year. Obviously last week, well, they held, they held the Giants to 12 points or whatever, and so you better got to be happy. <laughs> yeah, right. You better. <laughs> but, I mean, you got to be happy with that. And, and the offense just didn't get it done. Um, I, I, you know, I don't think they're a particularly balanced team right now. I think they could still get that offense back. I think they could get it going again. I, I have faith in Andy Reid as a play caller, generally speaking, and I, I really enjoyed their what they were doing early on in the year. But I just think they need to kind of recapture that because the defense, I don't think, is going to be good enough to to no. really carry the day. They're going to need to outscore teams, especially at the playoffs. And I think that where we are at the Chiefs right now is kind of that unfortunate spot that we didn't think we'd be in five weeks into the year, right? It was the idea that, you know, we've seen the Chiefs make the playoffs, have been a really solid team, never scary when it came down to it. You know, the right. other contenders in the AFC always felt safer to you. And now we're back. You know, even if they managed to limp into the playoffs, I mean, no one feels comfortable about them beating either the Patriots or the Steelers. I mean, just not where we're at. And you thought that this might be the year that was different, but doesn't look like it. I mean, it, yeah, we've gotten to the point again in the in the season. Early on, Alex Smith was a legit MVP candidate, right? Now, now we're getting back to the point where people are talking about benching him again. 
Yeah, which I mean, isn't. I mean, we we talked about that earlier. I don't think that's the right move. But again, the fact that we're even having the conversation is just yeah. not where you figured you'd be eleven weeks into the year. Absolutely, it's, it's just yeah. I I think you're you're dead on though. It's like it's you know Groundhog Day. I think for the Chiefs and, and just for their fans and stuff because it feels like we're in the exact same spot as we were last year. It's it's a little bit strange. The, the season can do that for you. It's a long ass season, and obviously for for them, the injuries have been a, a factor, but. Um, they need to recapture that magic for for you know before the playoffs in order to really consider them like a Super Bowl team. Yeah, you know it's a long ass season, buddy, and so do God. I. Welcome to my world here. <laughs> Hi, bud. Thank you very much. We'll be back. We'll see you on Friday. All right, sounds good. Buying tickets to sporting events and concerts can be complicated and annoying, but there's a better, simpler way to buy. That's with SeatGeek. Robert, you love SeatGeek so much, it feels like literally your favorite thing in the entire world. I go to a lot of shows and a lot of games, man. I need something like SeatGeek because I can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. It's true, and then you can see your favorite team or band in person, Robert. SeatGeek gets you closer to the action for a great value, and it saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. SeatGeek also has plenty of concert, comedy, and theater tickets available too. The coolest part is that our listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Enter promo code RINGERNFL. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code RINGERNFL today. All right, now we welcome in one of our Ringer colleagues, one of several Philadelphia Eagles fans on our staff, but you know, certainly the one I want to talk to most today. It's Chris Ryan. Chris, how are you? What's up, guys? I don't feel like that, that's not enough. Uh, is Look, it just kind of is it, has it faded over the last two days? No, nothing's faded. I've just I am trying to ride this in a very even keel way. You know, sure. there's a lot going on right now in Philadelphia. You've got um, you've got Joel and Ben, yeah, and you've got this football team, but. And, you know, there's this great thing that happens in Thanksgiving, uh, around Thanksgiving. I wish I was going home for this, where there's a Sixers game and then the Eagles walk in during the game, you know, to sit, take their courtside seats or whatever. And the whole crowd goes nuts. It really does yeah. feel like there's like a, a hundred people in the, in the city when something like that happens. You know, it's, it's a very small yeah. town vibe. It's cool. But it's a really exciting time. That being said. After being through the Andy Reid wars, yeah. I just want to keep it chill. You know what I mean? I, I don't want to get too high or too low, but. I was very excited by Sunday night. So you had the Declaration of Independence. You had that was a good one. Uh, ben Frank, Franklin obviously did many things in Philadelphia that were important. Yeah, discovered the, lightning. The the Pope came two years ago. Yeah. Um, is you put the Pope in there? <laughs> no, I'm just trying to be current. The nothing, first Made in America festival nothing, with Jay Z. Nothing yeah. has yep. happened in Philadelphia for 300 years. So I was just <laughs> trying to throw some stuff in. Um, is this the best? Time in Philadelphia history. No, the I, there's some early '80s moments. Yeah, you know, the like '70s. The, yeah. the, the the Phillies and the Flyers and the Sixers the Bron- all being good. Right. Eagles were good. Yeah. So, is this your favorite Eagles team of your lifetime, though? No, my favorite team of Eagles team of my lifetime is the first quarter of the first Chip Kelly game yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> against the Washington Redskins. <laughs> that will never. I will never feel more connected to a group of individuals playing a sport that I did at that moment. It was um, an incredible collection of human beings. And the fact I, that it was Vic, Deshaun, and LaShawn McCoy, it couldn't have been better. Yeah, and, and Deshaun Jackson doing the, like, cycle through the plays gesture like he played yep. for Texas Tech. Um, <laughs> but I, and I also really enjoyed, I mean, obviously, the the fundamental to my personality and to my, my identity is 
Jerome Brown, Clyde Simmons, Reggie right. White. So yeah. the B- Buddy Ryan, I, I actually was named after Buddy Ryan. My last name is not Ryan. <laughs> uh, so yeah, <laughs> I am an honorary Ryan brother. The best football book of all time is about those teams. Yeah? Yeah. What is it? It's uh, by Mark Bowden. It's called Bringing the Heat. Oh, man. And he also wrote Black Hawk Down. He also wrote uh, Killing Pablo. There you go. Wow, Mark Bowden on a hot streak. <laughs> Mark Bowden heat check. <laughs> All right, Chris, let's get a, let's do a little rapid fire, quick round of 2017 Eagles kind of favorite moments so far. Your favorite Carson Wentz moment of the year. Let's hit. Let's go back to the beginning, brothers. Week one against Washington. He escapes, what, four sacks to hit Nelson Aguilar with a 30-something yard strike for a 58-yard touchdown. And just a little Aaron Rodgers dust on that. As soon as you saw that, you just were like, oh, this guy's special. This guy, you know, and I think he had a little bit of a dip in the second half of his rookie season, as rookies tend to do. But that was a, if we have this guy, we have a shot moment that I think we don't get enough of in the NFL anymore because so the quarterback play across the board has been so down that it's just it sucks that we don't get more games where guys like screw it I'm winning this even if it is the first you know one of the first plays of the first weeks of the season and he does that all the time we talked about it a little bit earlier in the show I mean he did that two more times against the Cowboys it just feels like even when things break down and they don't often because of how good that team is he's the type of guy that can make up for it yeah and you know I I know that they they often you know, I will. I, I've been watching all these games if I can at this one barbecue restaurant in LA, trying to sit in the same seat with the same group of Philadelphia Eagles fans. And often I will be picking through brisket and look up, and I'll be like, "How is it third and eleven already?" Yeah. But even when it's third and eleven, I don't. I I, I never doubt that he's going to convert. Yeah, wow. I mean that's where he's best. I mean the fact that he just sits there and is so comfortable on third down, it's like define their season in a way. Kevin Clark, I can't tell if you're mad that you're not invited to these barbecue restaurants. I would not go to the barbecue restaurant. <laughs> or if you're just like, how do you have this much faith in another person? No, I just it's such an opposite. I mean, the person I talk about football just time wise most is Robert Mays. Yeah. And Mays is just relentlessly complaining about the incompetent state of his team. And then to hear your optimism about it, I just don't hear optimism like that around the league. Yeah. It's I mean, just, here's the thing. Patriots fans have it, but you just tune them out. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Sure. It's it's just, like, Bill Simmons has done it for yeah. years, but I just, uh, how Belichick, can you deal with it anymore? Belichick on, yeah. on you know, third and 36. No, this is new for me. All right. Who is your favorite non-Carson Wentz member of this team? My favorite non-Carson Wentz member of this team is by far Fletcher Cox. Yeah. Uh, Fle- Correct answer. <laughs> Fletcher Cox might be God. Uh, him and Timmy in the interior. You know what's cool is when you find a player that you love in a part of the field that you don't normally watch. Yep. And you are like, oh, that's why this is important. So to watch Fletcher Cox collapse pockets uh, is has been one of the best parts of watching this season. He is a beast, man. We own a fantasy football team together in the Ringer League, and you wanted to name our team Fletcher fucking Cox after the first game. <laughs> yeah. Which was completely fair. I, I made us pick the Eagles defense. You wanted to emotionally hedge <laughs> because you were worried that if they were bad and we had the Eagles defense, it was going to be a problem. Yeah. I'm very glad we made that decision. I was worried Jim Schwartz was going to have like a failed midseason coup and be exiled to, <laughs> you know, advising Urban Meyer at some point this season, but it, it all worked out. All right. Let's talk about Doug Peterson's visor for a second. Yeah, sure. Uh, for or against, because I feel like the visor kind of hides how terrible his hair is. He was walking around without it before the game on Sunday, and yeah. they showed him on camera. It's like, that is really bad. 
why would you ever wear a visor that accentuates that hair? So what is it? Is it like Sam Rockwell and three billboards? What What is he looking like when he doesn't have the no, visor on? It, it doesn't look like that at all. Do, do you remember that episode of Seinfeld where they didn't get enough water pressure in the shower <laughs> and all their hair just like stuck to the front of their heads? That's what it looks like. It's just it just sitting down. I, I just don't understand what he puts in it. He doesn't part it in the correct way. No, it's just like, like it, it's is... like in his face. It looks like, it looks like mine right when I get out of the shower and I haven't done anything with it. It's just in my head. He, I, it just, I don't, none of it makes sense to me. He, in that picture, Kevin just showed me a picture of him without the visor and he looks like uh, Jack Del Rio's serious brother. Yeah. John Del Rio. John Del Rio. <laughs> yeah. John Rio. No, John. Not, a, not a Del. Yeah, yeah. His, Jack Del Rio's <laughs> first name is Jack Del. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hyphen like Carl Anthony. Um, yeah. Uh, Doug can wear a Viking helmet if he wants to. Maybe not a Viking helmet because we might see them in the playoffs. Doug can wear whatever he wants. He can wear uh, like an actual, like he can go back to making Harlem shake viral videos and wear a rooster head if he wants to on the sideline as long as we keep winning. When you Google uh, Doug Peterson, and you keep scrolling down the image searches at some point it's just a bunch of pictures of Michael Lombardi because of <laughs> so many Man. of the aggregation things about Doug Peterson are about that I don't know the, the real estate prices in Philly on GM Street have dropped <laughs> uh, Chris uh, our last question we're going to ask you have you booked your ticket to Minneapolis yet? Um, for the Eagle Super Bowl obviously that's what the Super Bowl is in can we can we flip this and say what is why shouldn't I? yeah because yeah, I'm, hey. I, I, I was texting with some Eagles buddies. I was texting with Zach Barron over the weekend, and I was watching Minnesota, LA, and I'm like, I wasn't, I'm not really sweating these guys. I'm not really New Orleans Saints. That's what I was the worried Saints about. The Saints are the team. That's what I was worried about. I'm more, I, I compared, I compared Drew Brees right now to Heat, uh, Miami Heat era Shaq. Yes. Um, where he doesn't have to do it all, but when he wants to, when people are like, oh. Shaq's done. He'll just put up 40 and 15. Yeah, and you know, Al- Alfred Morris got some action on Sunday night, and I'm not dying to see uh, uh, Kamara and, and, and Ingram yeah. on, on, in the playoffs. That being said, this is why I hope that we keep keep pouring it on to get home field, because yeah. welcome to Philadelphia in January, New Orleans Saints. Chris, uh, we can hang out at the CC Club where the replacements used to <laughs> oh, go all the yeah. time. That could be our plan. Have you ever been to Minnesota? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I love Minneapolis, I so it would be great to have you there. I'll see you in the Skyway. <laughs> I uh, have some information about Eagles NFC Championship games. They, okay. haven't, they haven't gone very well. I know. I know. Yeah, there have We've been, been a lot to a of few. Them, that's, the, that's the reason yeah. why I'm not here. I'm not doing a William Wallace speech from Braveheart. I'm just, <laughs> I'm trying to keep it not 100. I'm trying to keep it 70. I appreciate your tempered kind of approach to this. Can I guys. give a quick shout out to Corey Clement? Yeah, you absolutely can. Uh, that's my. That's also my favorite eagle. He's been great. The fact that they have like twelve running backs and all of them are good is not really fair. This yeah, is a really good team. And I, it's you know they have a bunch of guys that I, I feel like if we were five hundred, yeah, we would have an awful locker room. You know what I mean? Like a bunch of guys who were like, I'm not getting it. Yeah, I mean even like I don't even know if like is Legarrett like, hey, it's cool. He's it's definitely all one good. of those guys. You he win did, some, you lose the correct some. inclination. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like we, it's it's a good team to be winning because yeah, otherwise yeah, yeah. you get a, lot, get a lot of guys who are like, hey, man, I need my catches for like my contract next year. Like, yeah, and also Jim Schwartz is pretty chill, so it also extends to the coaching staff. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> all right, bud. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Time to offer our lasting impressions from week 11. Very quickly, Kevin, what's going to stick with you? Yeah, um, so I just it's going to be Nathan Peterman and, and that whole episode and just how bad I wrote this for the I mean, some of the coaching decisions we've seen in the NFL this year, whether it's Ben McAdoo existing, whether it's, um, you know, seeing the effects of what Jeff Fisher did to the league when you see Keenum and, and Goff now, 
I mean, coaching is as important as ever because of the collective bargaining agreement, because of um, the way young players are coming in, and the NFL is uh, screwing with it, basically. Um, Nathan Peterman, and this is sort of uh, the flip side of that argument, his career is probably ruined now um, because the Bills panicked and benched a, a pretty good quarterback and threw him into the fire. Um, and so I just, I don't know what the hell is going on. The NFL has got to figure out this coaching thing and, uh, poor Nathan Peterman. Mine's going to be more Eagles. And I know that is just beating the same drum, but I just feel like watching that team is such a blast right now. And Carson Wentz is a huge part of it clearly, but to me, it's all the other stuff. It's just like Chris said, kind of digging into areas of the field where you normally wouldn't care. And I do care about those areas. And that's usually what I watch the most and watching the Eagles up front on both sides of the ball. Again, just perfect marriage of scheme and talent and where there is so much bad coaching going on the good coaching stands out more than it ever has and i think that the eagles are that exact team and the roster they've built from the way they deploy it everything else it's just so much fun i don't know if the eagles will win the super bowl i mean again the saints are a really good team they're very solid they're dangerous they breeze there are a couple other lingering teams in the nfc but right now i have the most fun watching that eagles team and you know i'm excited to see where it goes all right All right, buddy. That's it for today. Three big games on Thanksgiving. We'll be here on Friday to react to those and get everyone set for week 12. As always, thank you for listening to the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network.